Grace and peace be yours in abundance through the knowledge of God and of our Lord Jesus Christ. My brothers, my sisters in Christ. As I said, today we're celebrating what we are calling New Friends Sunday, taking a special opportunity to say thank you to God, to say thank you to you, everyone who has joined the Trinity family since last summer, since a year ago today. So let me say again, welcome, if that describes you. We're so happy that we have you in our church family. But we don't want to forget about the longtime members either. We are very thankful for you as well. So thank you for being a part of the Trinity Church family as well. And of course, we don't want to forget about the guests and the visitors and those who have started maybe a Bible basics class and aren't quite members yet, but we are super thankful for you as well. Thank you for being here. We celebrate you. Because what we are really celebrating with New Friends Sunday is we're celebrating what we have here at Trinity Lutheran Church. What you can find at any, tr any church family where, God's word, where people gather around God's word as it is preached and taught in truth and purity in the sacraments, what you find is belonging. And when we say that we are a family, that's not just a metaphor, is it? That's not just flowery language. We're not just trying to love bomb you by saying you're our brothers and sisters. It's a fact. Think about your earthly families. What brings you together? What brings you together in your earthly families is what you have in common, whether that's blood, genetics, Maybe you were adopted, but you still have the legal right to call yourself a member of your family. And so because of those very important things that you share in common, you share all this other stuff in common too. You love each other, you're there for each other, you support each other. That's what a family is supposed to do, right? In our church family, what do we have in common? We have the most important thing in common, because I'm looking at a room full of people with very diverse backgrounds, interests, hobbies, jobs, etc., but what matters is what we have in common, that we are a bunch of sinners saved by the grace of a loving and merciful God. As brothers and sisters in Christ, we have a responsibility, though, to one another, in meditating on this lesson from Matthew 18, I was reminded of the, church, of the, the, the biblical narrative of Cain and Abel. You remember Cain and Abel? Cain got jealous of his brother, and his jealousy led him to murder him. Think of the horror of that, a brother killing his own brother. God, who sees all and knows all, knew exactly what happened, but yet he lovingly confronts Cain and he says to Cain, he gives him this opportunity to fess up to what he had done when he asked Cain, where is your brother? And Cain's answer is so weird. Do you remember what he said, those of you who know the story? I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? Is my brother my responsibility? Am I really supposed to know where my brother is at? And the reason that question is so weird is because the answer is yes. Think of your earthly families, your brothers and your sisters. You are responsible for them to some extent, right? 
to know that they're okay, to be there for them. If they went missing and someone asked, where's your brother? You wouldn't say, I don't know, am I my brother's keeper? Cain's attitude is so cold and cold-hearted because if he's asking, do I have a responsibility to my brother, the answer is yes. And so it is with your church family. There's no room for Christians to ask God, I don't know, am I my brother or sister in Christ's keeper? Because you are. That's what Jesus is talking about in Matthew 18. And he begins our lesson with a, with a bit of a warning. He says to those that are listening to his preaching, he says, See that you do not despise one of these little ones. For I tell you that their angels in heaven always see the face of my Father in heaven. Do not despise these little ones. Well, who are the little ones? They're children. And in our day and age, children are celebrated, aren't they? Kids say the darndest things. They're so cute. They mispronounce words. They don't understand stuff, and yet children at the same time become our teachers in their simple way of understanding the world and their simple way of understanding the Bible. They can put things in a way that really makes you stop and think. So we celebrate kids, their wisdom that comes even at such a young age, but it was not so in Jesus' day. Sure, moms and dads loved their kids in Jesus' day, but by and large, kids were not culturally celebrated nearly to the same level as they are right now. Because in the eyes of society, you were basically useless unless you could work, unless you could turn a wage. And so people would just ignore kids and say, what are you good for? You can't even plow a field. You can't even do taxes. But I think we know something about what it would mean to despise one of these little ones, whether we're in our day and age or Jesus' culture. Despising one of these little ones might be scowling at a mom or a dad that has done the hard work of bringing their child to church, that struggled through the morning, that are struggling through the service, and their kid keeps making noise, but you say, oh, why are you interrupting my worship experience? That would be despising one of these little ones, wouldn't it? It might be some confusion, perhaps, about why we as a church want to take so much time in instructing our youth through catechism, through Sunday school, why we want to devote so much money, so many volunteer hours to making sure that little ones know their Bibles. That would be despising one of these little ones. Basically, any way that we ignore the needs of the most vulnerable members in our midst, right? So you kind of realize that we don't have to be talking about children, do we? We have a responsibility to everyone to make sure to keep an eye on their spiritual welfare. But the thing about kids in Jesus' day is, because, is that you could pretty well ignore them and there would be no consequence. A kid couldn't get you in trouble for ignoring their spiritual needs or not taking care of them. So there might have been a temptation to think that it doesn't matter nothing will happen to me if I don't bring my kid to Sunday school, or nothing really wrong is going to happen. My kid's not going to start crying at their lack of church, just like they would cry if I didn't feed them. So what's the big deal? Nobody really cares. Well, God's point in saying that their angels in heaven always see the face of my Father in heaven is that God cares. God sees. 
And whether we're talking about kids or about any vulnerable member of the church, anyone who we would rather ignore than engage, anyone who we don't particularly think is important to check up on, Jesus is warning us, do not despise these ones because God is watching. God cares very much about how we treat each other. God cares very much about how you think about, pray about, act toward, and talk to the person sitting in the pew next to you or in front of you. How does God want us to treat each other? What is our responsibility toward one another as members of a church family? That's what Jesus is describing with his parable about the lost sheep. He wants you to imagine that you are a wealthy sheep owner. If you have a hundred sheep, you're doing pretty well. And one of them runs off. In financial or economic terms, Jesus makes the math for us super easy. Let's say that, well, when one, one out of a hundred sheep runs off, that's one percent of your wealth. So whether we're talking about sheep or your retirement fund, your savings account, your kid's tuition fund, 1% is a big deal, isn't it? Let's say you checked your statement and you saw that 1% of your, of your savings fund was randomly missing. You would not say, back, that's just 1%, it's no big deal. Wouldn't you get on the phone with your financial advisor, you would go into your bank and talk to the rep, you would want to know where that 1% went and you would demand that it, that it be given back to you once you found out it was taken in error or something weird happened. In the same way, if you're a shepherd leading a hundred sheep and one of them wanders off, you're not going to say, ah, I still got 99, it's no big deal. You would leave those 99 with a temporary hired hand. You would go after that sheep with all your might. You would find it, and when you found it, finally, you would be so happy. Jesus says you would rejoice more over that one sheep than over the 99 that were still in your possession. Because for the past 24 hours, your attention has been solely on finding that one sheep, and now you've found it, you want to celebrate. This is to be our attitude toward one another, brothers and sisters, as if every sheep counts. Because every sheep counts to God. We were the lost sheep, weren't we? Because as diverse as this group in this room is, all of us have something very sinister in common. All of us have what the Bible calls our sinful nature. And for each of us, that sinful nature bears out in different ways. Some of us may have committed very serious outward sins that we still feel guilty about and have a hard time forgiving ourselves of. For some of us, maybe it's not one clear, concrete thing, but day after day, we're doing battle with sinful attitudes, thoughts, and feelings. All of us have a sinful nature, regardless of what our sin looks like. And my sin is going to look different than yours. We were the lost sheep. And God, as we read in our Old Testament lesson, is our shepherd. He loved us so much that he was not willing to just cut his losses and say, ah, they're lost, forget about it. But he pursued us with an immeasurable kind of love that brought him to come to earth and take on human flesh. That the man who is talking, who is speaking these verses, is God in the flesh. Jesus himself 
preaching and teaching the word of God on his way to Jerusalem where he is going to sacrifice his own sacrifice himself to atone for our sins. Atone meaning making everything that was wrong with our relationship with God right again. To redeem us from our sins. Redemption meaning purchasing and winning us and bringing us back into the flock of God. That's how much God loves you. And that's what each individual in this room has in common. We are all a bunch of sinners saved by the grace of God. And this salvation is given to us freely as a gift. It was given to you at your baptism when you were washed with water and the word and the Holy Spirit created faith in your heart, uniting you to the Holy Christian Church on earth. This is strengthened in your heart whenever you hear the word preached and taught, whenever you study it for yourself as the Holy Spirit speaks through God's word to you. And as we are going to do today, members of Trinity celebrate this grace and are renewed in this grace every time we take communion together as a church family. See, God loves us so much that he stops at nothing to make us aware of, of his great love. That's what we have in common. So you can see why it wouldn't make sense for you to think about a brother or sister in Christ for you to confess in one moment, yes, we are all sinners saved by the blood of Christ, and yes, my brother and my sister is created in the image of God, is redeemed by Christ, and is my fellow saved brother or sister, but if they're going through something, I don't really care. You can see how that doesn't really fit, right? How you can say about, about the person sitting next to you in the pew or other people in the room that yes, the only thing that saved them is the only thing that saved me, the grace of God, and what a wonderful thing that I'm here this morning to celebrate. But if they need something, I hope they figure it out. Or if they're, if they're the lost sheep and they're straying from the flock, I hope they find their way back. You can see how that doesn't quite make sense. We are all the flock of God, and God has called us to be there for each other. Your church family is there for you, and you are called to be there for each other. That's what Jesus is talking about in the next verses, where he says, if your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. If they listen to you, you have won them over. But if they will not listen, take, or, take one or two others along so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. If they still refuse to listen, tell it to the church. And if they refuse to listen even to the church, tell, treat them as you would a pagan or tax collector. Truly, I tell you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Picture a Thanksgiving dinner. You're all enjoying your meal. You're all slurping away at whatever that is. And a quiet moment falls over all of you, as often happens when everyone's enjoying good food. But then little Billy pipes up and says, I saw Tommy drinking liquor behind the bushes. What happens next? Does a productive conversation ensue because of <laughs> little Billy's confrontation? Probably not. There's probably a bit of yelling. There's probably a bit of disorder. That's why Jesus says, if you see someone straying, 
if you notice that a brother or sister is caught up in a sin, no matter what the sin is, no matter what you notice, if it's a drinking problem, a pornography addiction, or they're just gossiping about other people, or they're just speaking in a way that's not exactly glorifying God, point it out to them, but in private. Don't make it everyone's business. That's what gossip is, right? It's talking about an issue with everyone in the entire world except for the person who can do anything about it, right? But what do you say? You say to your brother or sister, I love you. I'm in the same boat as you. I recognize that I'm a sinner as well, but I notice you're caught in this thing that's threatening your relationship with God. Because remember, your brother or your sister is not the enemy. Even in those conversations, sin is the enemy. Sin is what drives us away from God. Sin is what threatens our relationship with God. And so if you see a brother or sister caught in a sin, you're helping them by identifying it, aren't you? And right there, right behind your identification of this sin, you say, Jesus Christ is your Savior from sin. Just wanted to have this conversation because I know you would do the same for me. Jesus is calling us to be there for each other, calling us to preach law and gospel to each other, calling us to help one another. You don't slap someone in the face and say, you're a sinner, and then turn tail and run. No, you offer, to, offer yourself for your brother or sister to lean on you through their struggles because that's what we're here for, brothers and sisters. Think of the amazing love of God that not only has he saved us from our sins through his son Jesus, but not only has he given us his word so that we can know about his salvation, not only does he connect us to this salvation through the sacraments of baptism and communion, but he gives us each other so that we can support, encourage, and lean on each other. If that means a confrontation, that's still what we're here to do. God has given us our church family so that we can be there for one another. Your church family is here for you, just like God calls you to be there for your church family. The promise that Jesus ends our section with today is especially important. He says, Where two or three gather in my name, there I am with them. Let's think just a little bit more about the story of Cain and Abel. God knows what Cain did. He saw it all happen. The blood from Abel's head is still on the floor, on the, on the ground. And yet God comes to Cain and he says, just tell me what you did. Just talk to me. What amazing, tremendous, immense, eternal love of God that he treats even the worst of sinners like Cain, like you, like me, as his, as his beloved dear sheep. Brothers and sisters, that is what we have in common. That is the most important thing you could ever find in a church family, and that is what drives everything we do, is God's immense, eternal unchangeable love. From Sunday morning to Saturday night, from regular worship services to random events, from programmed Bible studies with programmed study questions to random texts and conversations, everything we do centers around 
the undeserved love of God that is all of ours. That is the love we want to keep sharing with each other, reminding each other of, encouraging each other in, and that is the love we want to share with everyone around us in every way that we can. That is a love worth celebrating every day for the rest of our lives with our church family. And we are so glad that you are a part of it. Amen.